Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Wednesday, October 31st, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serrata, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writers, why trend Bowie? Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. It is Halloween Day, everyone. Uh, I, I think we talked about this on the water cooler last week. But uh, what do you guys have planned for Halloween? HT, what, what are you doing? I'm not doing anything. <laughs> not doing anything? Well, you already did a, no, uh, a, a I, uh, party. Yeah. I did a thing this weekend. I'm fine to just like stay in and listen to, yeah. I don't know, the Nightmare Before Christmas soundtrack. Yeah. You should at least watch a horror film or something. I guess. That's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chris, how about you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'll probably just watch the original Halloween tonight. I think that's that's the the long and short of my plans. Is is that a tradition in your household? I mean, I always watch it around this time, at least you know once this time of year. Now it doesn't have to be on the day itself, but I always try to watch at least something, some sort of horror movie on this day. Ben, how about you? I don't think I'm doing anything, and I live in an <laughs> apartment complex that's gated, so I'm not even going to be like handing out candy to trick-or-treaters or anything so i think i'm uh yeah i think i'm i'm out <laughs> yeah i i live in west hollywood and they have one of the biggest halloween parties in the in at least in the united states here it, it takes up like a whole like mile and a half uh stretch of santa monica boulevard so uh if you see michael myers coming at you it could be me um, yeah, so, in, in the WeHo uh, Halloween party. Anyways, um, let's jump into it because we do have a lot of news. And let's start out with um, yesterday a story broke that I've been working weeks on uh, ho- hoping to confirm it. I, I, I had two reliable sources of waiting on Disney, but uh, Variety uh, beat me to it uh, by a couple minutes. And that is that uh, the Disney streaming service is going to be having these Marvel TV shows, uh, these miniseries starring uh, supporting characters from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We had already heard that uh, Tom Hiddleston and Elizabeth Olsen were going to be, rep- 
be reprising their roles of Loki and Scarlet Witch in uh, their own respective shows. And I had learned that uh, there's going to be a hawk. Uh, there's going to be a uh, Falcon Winter Soldier TV series that's uh, that's in the works. Um, and uh, we, we don't really know too much more than that, aside from the fact that uh, Seb- Seb- Sebastian Stan and um, Anthony Mackie. I mean, their relationship. I think that's been kind of solidified in what uh, Captain America: Civil War. The kind of or kind of frenemies of sorts uh, has been kind of like a fan favorite. A lot of fans have wanted them to have a team up movie, and and those two actors have kind of been uh, fanning the flames in in their press interviews. And uh, I, I think uh, this this will be a fun series. Uh, we do know that Malcolm Spellman has been hired for the as the writer for the new series. We don't really know much else right now. Uh, but I was wondering what you guys thought of this. Uh, I know we've talked about this for weeks in our Slack channel, and this is now uh, you know public information now. Uh, but uh, HT, are you excited for a Falcon Winter Soldier TV series? I'd watch it. I actually I quite like their um, their banter and their uh, rapport during the Captain America Civil War scenes that they had together, and I definitely would be interested in watching like a buddy comedy road trip movie of sorts with them these two at the center. Um, and <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm I'm down for that. Uh, the Scarlet Witch show I'm also quite intrigued by too because I feel like she hasn't really gotten her due in the MCU despite how great Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen is in the role and the news that Vision may appear as well is very exciting to me just because I know this is probably um, an a, a unpopular opinion among many people but I love Scarlet Witch and Vision. It, I might um, have stemmed from my like long reigning crush on Paul Bettany, but I I think it's great. I I shipped them from like that one moment where they stared in each other's eyes in Avengers: <laughs> Age of Ultron, and I was like, okay, I'm down, I'm here. So I'm quite excited to see maybe more of that uh, come to fruition in the in the series. But I also want to see more Scarlet Witch on her own as well. Yeah. See, I uh, I mean I agree with you. I love Elizabeth Olsen and. Um... But I feel like Scarlet Witch is kind kind of the shaft in the MCU. Uh, I feel like that character in what uh, you know, I do like the relationship with Vision, but I think like that character's kind of been defined heavily on the the her relationship with men in, in the yeah, MCU. Yeah, definitely. And mm-hmm. uh, the the fact that they're putting Vision in here. Uh, probably gives me a little bit more confidence and it shouldn't i feel bad saying that because like you know i like that relationship and scarlet witch without that relationship so far has been kind of bland uh am i wrong in in thinking that well i i agree with you to an extent i'm just hoping that maybe he won't feature so heavily as as he does like in the relationship in the movies and maybe the show will give her a chance to grow on her own a little bit and maybe he'll appear for a few episodes um and that'll just kind of get a strike that right balance between characterization for scarlet witch and uh giving us the romance that we want i wanted to ask you guys if you had any ideas for what other marvel's like supporting characters uh disney could turn into a you know their own mini series uh standalone uh you know six or eight episode tv series ben do you have any ideas 
Uh, I would love to see a show centered around Sam Rockwell's Justin Hammer from Iron Man 2. Just have him like <laughs> dancing around the whole episode and like scheming and maybe working with some bad guys here and there. But uh, just Sam Rockwell rockwelling it up. I, I would love for that. I would love to see that. Uh, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Chris, how about you? Uh, I'd really like to see a show centered around that janitor played by Harry Dean Stanton in the first Avengers. <laughs> I know, I know, Harry Dean Stanton is dead, unfortunately, so he can't do it. But they could like digitally bring him back, like digital hologram Harry Dean Stanton as a janitor cleaning up after the Hulk falls through the ceiling. I see you guys have taken this question quite uh, seriously and thought about this i am not kidding i want this to happen (laughs) hg do you do you have any ideas hollywood's Um, listening apparently oh well um would this have to be characters that have already been introduced in the mcu yeah yeah i'm looking for characters already introduced like i feel like i don't know knowing you and knowing what you've talked about in the past what about a hawkeye show yeah, I mean, I, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking a Hawkeye show based heavily off the David Aha and um, uh, Matt Fraction uh, comic book series, and I because I love that series. Uh, but the Hawkeye that shows up in the MCU doesn't yeah. quite align with the characterization in the Matt Fraction series. Uh, I'd love to see that at some point, like just a, a like Zeppo style Hawkeye hanging around New York saving people because he can't help it and then like occasionally just hanging with Kate Bishop so that would be my dream series but I don't know if it would be exactly what I would imagine yeah I feel like it would have to be a prequel to work especially now Mm -hmm. that he has a family and although if you think about it we don't know how Avengers 4 is going to change this universe so it could change it drastically and make it into a you know, it could end up in a way that you could do that series. Maybe. Maybe. Um, you know, I, I've i talked about it in the past. I'd love to see a Wakanda TV series that doesn't really take place uh, in the royalty, kind of just taking place on uh, the ground level. Um, but I'd also like to see a Shuri uh, show. But I, I feel like so many people love that character that Marvel is not going to do a TV series with her. I, I feel like we're eventually going to see a Shuri movie. Am I wrong? What, what about Korg and Meek from uh, Thor Ragnarok? <laughs> oh, I've watched a series of them. <laughs> if Taika is involved, I sign on. Um, <laughs> but anyways, okay, we've talked uh, too much about this. Uh, you can read my whole article on SlashFilm.com. Uh, let's move on to Attack on Titan. A movie is in the works from the director of It. HT, what do we know? So just five days after we heard news that Hollywood is developing a My Hero Academia movie, yet another anime uh, may be in development uh, for a live-action adaptation. So IT director Andy Muschietti uh, is currently uh, involved in talks to develop an Attack on Titan movie. So Attack on Titan is this hugely successful sci-fi series uh, written and created by Hajime Isayama, uh, set in a world where humanity is forced to take refuge in giant walled cities that are uh, frequently besieged by gigantic man-eating humanoids called titans. It's quite gruesome and a little bit uh, strange and scary. I have only seen the first episode. I was a little bit put off by it. I uh, we'll say I'm not a huge fan of mecha animes in general. And um, there, this is definitely, this is not just a mecha anime because it does delve into issues of militarization and corruption and blah, blah, blah. blah. But um, it's 
quite a high concept, ambitious series that uh, that may not make the transition well to the live action screen. I mean, we have seen something similar to this with uh, Pacific Rim, which is very heavily influenced by mecha anime such as this. Um, But this one is a lot more grotesque in the ways that you see like everything that happens when a titan like bites into a human being. It's really, it's very gross. Um, So I wonder if any Muschietti can pull it off. Um, considering he's actually never done a blockbuster before aside from it. And this definitely would require a very big budget and very big scope. So we'll see. I honestly like for this, this series, I just, I wish them the best of luck because it is a a very ambitious project. I think it, you know, he doesn't seem like the obvious choice for this gig, but I mean, you do mention Pacific Rim, and he was kind of a uh, protege of sorts of mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro, and uh, maybe that's kind of the connection. Maybe they're trying to make something like that happen. Chris, are you excited about this at all? I mean, I'm not familiar with the property. I do like Andy Muschietti as a director, so I'm not not excited about it. But I'm, I'm but, but I'm... is he the kind of director you'd want for like a big robot action movie? I don't know. I mean, there's a fair share of body horror in here too, if that's what you're into, Chris, because it's not less like robots battling robots as much as like people with giant swords carving up these huge, uh, creepy-looking giants that have like huge mouths. I mean, that sounds okay to me. I'm not really (laughs) big into robots, really. I don't like care about. I know, like, this is like a cool thing for a lot of people, but I I don't really care about giant robots because. I just don't care. It just seems too like giant monsters. I can buy that, but giant robots—that seems too silly for me. Now, uh, Chris, I know that you don't have a huge action figure collection, but you were quite excited about uh, this new announcement from NECA that they are releasing a Laurie Stroud action figure. So, uh, yeah. t- tell us about it. Yeah. So, believe it or not, there has never been an official uh, Laurie Strode action figure from Halloween. There's been plenty of Michael Myers. There's been a few Dr. Loomis action figures, but there has never been a Laurie Strode figure until now. Uh, NECA is releasing the figure inspired by her appearance in the new Halloween, Halloween, the 2018 Halloween. And Based on the the image released, it's a it's a really good sculpt. It looks a lot like Jamie Lee Curtis. So while I'm not big on action figure, I mean I I do buy. I will admit that I do pick up a Funko Pop every now and then, but I don't really buy anything else toy wise. But I think when this comes out, I'm gonna Wait, get. You, did, you didn't get the Guillermo del Toro uh, figure, the six. I have the I have the Guillermo del Toro Funko Pop. I don't oh, have just, the the figure. Ah. Uh. But yeah, but when this comes out, I think I'm going to get it just because it's the first Laurie Strode. It looks really cool. So I, I think I will actually get this unless it's like $100. Then no, I won't get it. But if it's like affordable, I will. It's NECA. I think it will be affordable. But um, it does bring uh, like a question that, you know, these movie monsters, there's been so many figures of like Jason and Leatherface and Freddy and I'm betting you a lot of these final girls have never been made into action figures. So, Chris, I know since you are the horror fanatic here, what other final girls would you actually want to see turned into action figures? I mean, it really is an untapped market. I think, I don't know if it's just because they figure only 
quote unquote boys will buy the toys and boys don't want to buy female action figures. I really don't know why more places haven't picked up on this. Like I remember uh, McFarland toys had this line called movie maniacs, which I used to love. And it was like all the slashers, but they never put out, you know, anyone else. And that really could be a good mark. I mean, you know, there's, you know, Nancy from nightmare on Elm street or like, uh, Sydney from Scream would be a great one. There's so many characters in, you know, the uh, the genre of horror that really, could, I think, would be uh, welcomed by collectors and, and fans. But for some reason, no one has done it really until now. So I honestly can't think of any. I mean, I'm not exactly yeah. as well versed on toys, but I really can't think of a single final girl action figure. Well, who would you like to see after Laurie Stroud? Who should get the next treatment? I mean, I would definitely think Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street deserves it. Uh, that she's she after Laurie Strode, I think she's the most recognizable of the final girls, and almost every single Friday the Thirteenth movie has their own final girl. I can't even remember their names, so that right there has a lot. And like I said, uh, Nev Campbell's character Sydney from Scream is pretty much, I think, also really up there with the, the most well known of the of the final girls. I wonder if she actually has an action figure. Hmm. Oh, no, okay. I'm I'm almost positive that does not exist. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of Nancy, uh, we have been talking about with the success of Halloween, there have been, you know, uh, people have been talking about the possibility of a Nightmare on Elm Street uh, sequel in the same legacy, uh, you know, focus of w- what Halloween did with their sequel. Uh, and we have some new news on that front. HD, tell us about it. Yeah, so Heather Langenkamp, who played Nancy Thomas, uh, Thompson, sorry, in Nightmare on Elm Street and uh, its sequel, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, as well as the uh, sort of, she kind of reprised her role in Wes Craven's new Nightmare, um, has put herself forward for availability for a potential Nightmare on Elm Street uh, revival sequel. So she said in, in an interview with Entertainment Weekly, um, quote, I'm sitting here like any other Scream Queen in Hollywood, hoping that they revive their franchise. I'm not alone. I know a lot of other her- horror heroines who have this little bit of spring in their step, thinking about the chance of perhaps being in new versions of the movies that help that they help make famous as young people. It's kind of crazy but it's definitely something i would love to do so she is following uh robert england who uh also said that he has perhaps one more uh nightmare on elm street movie in left in him um after uh, kind of retiring with the um the reboot a few years ago so um yeah she if this sequel ever gets greenlit or um becomes developed we have two potential uh former stars uh putting themselves up for a possible possible returns Chris, I think I asked you this last week, but would you like to see Nancy return in, in Elm Street uh, in an Elm Street sequel? I would. Um, they would have to do some retconning like they did with the new Halloween and ignore the sequels because her character technically dies in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. But if she came back and if Robert England came back, I think that would be end up being as big a hit as this new Halloween, maybe even bigger. I know I would be excited for that, and I, I think fans would be thrilled to see that. I would love to see it. I was a big fan of the Nightmare on Elm Street series as a, as a kid. Uh, let's move on to uh, Flash Gordon, a, uh, a franchise that uh, helped inspire Star Wars. Uh, it seems like a new movie is in the works from the director of Overlord. Ben, tell us about it. 
Yeah, that's pretty much all we know at this point. Julius Avery, the guy who's directing the World War II horror movie Overlord, which comes out uh, very soon, I think next week or maybe in uh, two weeks, um, is uh, apparently he pitched Paramount his take on the character of Flash Gordon, and they really liked the idea and decided to give him the directing job for a Flash Gordon movie. Um Matthew Vaughn was going to be directing this movie once upon a time. He apparently is still on board as a producer. So I haven't seen Overlord yet, and I don't know Julius Avery's work that well. But uh, Flash Gordon is a character that, I mean, the 1980 movie is probably the most famous uh, iteration of him. I don't know if you guys if you guys have seen that movie recently, but I have um, it it holds up pretty well because it's, it's so silly and campy and fun that it, it makes it sort of timeless. Uh, I was reading a little bit about it and I guess it was produced by, um, or at least presented by one of the same people who was working on the 1960s Batman TV show. And sort of in the same way that that show, um, has like a, uh, like a, a nostalgic sort of a uh, kitsch to it that, that still, um, it, you know, it's of its time certainly, but it, it, it make it's different than like, um, being completely drenched in like a uh, a dark and gritty, super self serious kind of thing. Uh, Flash Gordon is not that at all, and I'm I'm hoping that Julius Avery is not going to take the character in that that kind of direction. But um, if he you know gets something that that is uh, um, approximating the 1980 film, which was directed by Mike Hodges and had this amazing soundtrack by Queen, um, then yeah, maybe uh, maybe people can have fun with Flash Gordon again. Do you think there's a nostalgia for Flash Gordon? I feel like you know it is a deeper cut for older film fans at this point. And even though, you know, it has a place in film history for, you know, inspiring a lot of things, I kind of wonder, you know, is this the kind of movie that could work today? Um, That's a very good question. I I think a lot of it depends on casting because, you know, I'm having like flashes of... uh of headlines where it's like they cast Ansel Elgort or somebody in the lead (laughs) role of Flash Gordon. And it's like, I mean, no offense to Ansel Elgort, but I think, again, it has a lot to do with um, the casting. I mean, the, the the, uh, villain Ming the Merciless in this movie, who played that character? It was um, uh, Christopher uh, Lee. Was it Christopher Lee? Um, In the movie? I think it was. Oh, Max von Sydow. Oh, Um, well, they're the same in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so you know you've got somebody like that, and 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 even um, Timothy Dalton was in the first movie too, in, in a pretty small role. But uh, I don't know. There's, it's it's one of those things, especially if they try to keep that campy tone, where you really have to walk that fine line and find somebody who's able to uh, play the source material straight while. Um, while still being able to wink but not overly wink at the audience it's i don't know peter it's gonna be a tough one for people to uh if they try to approach that same um or if they try to to replicate that same approach it's gonna be really tough to do that yeah i I agree with you i feel like if they go super serious it's not gonna work but if they took more of like a galaxy quest kind of tone to this but I, i don't you know i know we've (laughs) <laughs> I, I haven't even seen Overlord, and I've heard it's fine, but, you know, judging from the trailers of that, I, I just don't see myself being excited in a Flash Gordon movie from the director of or- Overlord. Uh, HT, does this interest you at all? I've never seen a Flash Gordon movie. It's a little bit before my time. Um, so I, yeah, I'm not, I just don't know enough about it to really be yeah. excited 
yeah, see, I think that's going to be the millennial opinion right there. I, I really yeah. think that, like, there's not really brand recognition of Flash Gordon. So, I don't know. It's, it's very, very confusing to me. Um, but let's talk about uh, this controversial The House That Jack Built director's cut, which is going to play in theaters for one night only. Chris, tell us about it. Um, yeah, so Lars von Trier was banned from the Cannes Film Festival uh, seven years ago for some really tone-deaf comments about Hitler, of all things. And um, he returned this year with his latest film, which is a serial killer film called The House That Jack Built, starring Matt Dillon. And um, from most accounts, the movie is uh, very violent, very upsetting. It, it's pretty much what you would expect from Lars von Trier, in other words. And it, it pushed a lot of buttons. It got a lot of people angry. And now the the director's cut, which is also the cut that played at Cannes, is going to play in theaters for one night only on November 28th. And then on December 14th, the film is go, the an R-rated cut is going to be released in select theaters and on VOD. And you'll also be able to buy the director's cut on VOD that day as well. So, uh, yeah, like I said, the, by all accounts, this movie is um, shocking. And some people also just say it's awful. It's like shocking <laughs> for the sake of being shocking. So uh, I am vaguely curious about it because I like some of Von Trier's movies. So I might check it out, but I, I might just wait for VOD, honestly. I do like the idea that they are bringing it to theaters. Like, I've often wondered why you know, with movies that people are excited with, about, like maybe like even, you know, the Watchmen director's cut and stuff like that, why they can't release those in theaters for a limited time, you know, either during the theatrical release or after the theatrical release of the original cut. And I've been told by Hollywood it all has to do with advertising and generally like these director's cuts have a uh, darker, more adult rating and you can't really advertise, um, you know, a PG-13 movie while you're also going to have a R-rated or unrated version of that movie be in theaters because there's some kind of laws about where you can advertise based on the rating and stuff like that. So, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm interested to see more of this and uh, especially with uh, VOD, you know, becoming huge. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see studios take advantage of that. Uh, but let's move on to Game of Thrones. Uh, there's been some news lately about the the prequel that is in development uh, f- for HBO. Ben, tell us about it. Yeah, so Jane Goldman, who uh, was responsible for the movie Kick-Ass, uh, she created one of the Game of Thrones prequels alongside George R. R. Martin, who wrote the A Song of Ice and Fire novels on which Game of Thrones is based. And uh, we know that HBO is, is working on at least one of these shows, and several others are still in development, but we know that casting has begun on the first of these shows. So Naomi Watts, the two-time Oscar nominee, has been cast in a lead role in the still technically untitled Game of Thrones prequel series, which is set thousands thousands of years before the events of the current show. We don't know much about her character other than that she will be playing a charismatic socialite hiding a dark secret, which <laughs> sounds like it could describe a lot of Game of Thrones characters. Um, we do know that this new show, like I said, takes place thousands of years before uh, the events of Game of Thrones. And uh, George R. R. Martin has actually said in the past that it's not going to feature any uh, actors or characters um, that appear on the current series. So Theoretically, uh, Naomi Watts could be playing 
a Lannister or um, a Tyrell or some family that we know. It, it's also equally likely that she's playing some brand new character that we've never heard of before. Um, I'll read you the, the quick synopsis of the show as we know it right now. Uh, taking place thousands of years before the events of Game of Thrones, Goldman's project chronicles the world's descent from the golden age of heroes into its darkest hour. And only one thing is for sure, from the horrifying secrets of Westeros' history to the true origin of the White Walkers, the mysteries of the East to the Starks of legend, it's not the story we think we know. Now, I'm not a, a big fan of Game of Thrones. I know uh, you guys all watch it. Chris, are you excited about Naomi Watts? Being in the I, series, I actually do not. I'm one of the, the rare people who also does not watch Game of Thrones. Oh, wow. I like I like Naomi Watts, so maybe I'll check it out. But I uh, I watched the first two or three seasons of Game of Thrones, and it got to the point where I was just tired of the the endless misery. Like every season is basically, if you like this character, they're going to die horribly. And I was like, all right, I'm I'm done with this show, so I tapped out. I finally found someone that dropped out of Game of Thrones in, I, in season I'm, three. I mean, I dropped out of it too, but I had a much more extreme reaction because I was really into the lore and into the books and I'm very dedicated to the characters. And it was just, for me, the mistreatment of the characters in the show that made but, me but drop off. you made it off. longer though, didn't you? I made it to season four, season five, yeah, yeah. which was supposed to be the season that I was looking forward to the most because it was going to adapt my favorite part of the books, and they just completely butchered it. So I was basically, I had a very um, messy divorce with Game of Thrones, but I would be um, interested in watching a prequel series uh, if it delves into uh, one of the kind of parts of mythology of the Song of Ice and Fire series that I've been interested in. Um, so maybe I'm, I might check it out, especially if Naomi Watts is leading the charge. <laughs> well, we have officially lost 95% of our viewers who all love Game of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. I've seen every episode, so <laughs> stick with us here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, uh, there was also some news of po about the possible title for this Game of Thrones prequel show. Yeah, well, it's just so, a different Game of Thrones prequel. So I'm no, it's, it's, it's the same one. And it seems like the internet at large is confused about this. And George R. R. Martin is not doing anybody any favors here. He's making things very difficult. So on should his be blog, writing instead. Yeah, exactly. He should be finishing The Winds of Winter, but instead he's confusing the internet with posts on his personal blog. So on that blog, he wrote a, uh, an article or a little uh, entry um, sort of celebrating Naomi Watts' casting and sharing that news with the fans who, who read his blog. And in that post, he referred to the show as The Long Night, which is a reference to a period of history in the, the fictional world of Westeros uh, when the White Walkers emerged for the first time and faced off against the First Men. And so everyone around the internet is is writing articles about how George R. R. Martin confirmed that the title of the Game of Thrones prequel is The Long Night. We actually reached out to HBO and they quickly just said the prequel pilot remains untitled. So this is not an official title. Um, back in June, George R. R. Martin uh, shared another entry on his blog saying basically that his vote for the, the title of the show would be The Long Night. Um, but he said more likely HBO will want to work the phrase Game of Thrones in there somewhere. We'll know sooner or later. So it sounds like he's He's just referring to this project as the long night because that's his like personal nickname for it that's his his preference for it that's not actually the official title of the show right now the long night's kind of a boring title in my in my mind i mean it's it's, it's very more, oh go ahead H. yeah it's more accurate than putting game of thrones in there though because there are no yeah. actual political battles happening during that 
phase of history. It's more of like an epic fantasy along the lines of what we see in Lord of the Rings, for example. Um, and actually, it's it will kind of tie into the mythology of um, of the prophecies that we see in the current series with the, uh, the prophecy of Azor Ahai and everything. It's like the beginning of that prophecy, which is intriguing but we already know all about it so why do we need to um, well this is just my own personal opinions about what i want to see in a series so <laughs> i don't know i i just don't think uh you know i'm not <laughs> i'm the worst person to be asking about this because i'm not a fan of this franchise but i i also don't think george R. R. martin is good with titles like the the what was the title of the like the actual game of thrones series the a song of ice and fire that is a horrible title if you ask me yeah <laughs> Which is why HBO did not use it. So, um, yeah, let's move on to Netflix. Uh, there's this new article that it came out kind of detailing how horrible it sounds like it is to work at this company. Chris, tell us about it. Yeah, there's a very detailed Wall Street Journal report. Uh, I only skimmed the surface, and I encourage you to both read my my summation on Slashfilm.com and the full report. But it boils down to this. Netflix is constantly firing people uh, within their company. And it's gotten to the point where people come into work every day terrified that they're just going to be fired uh, like at the drop of a hat. And the reason for the firings is something that they internally call the keeper test, where it's basically everyone gets constantly evaluated and reevaluated and you know managers are asking is this person worth keeping uh, at their job? And if they feel like even just slightly that they're not, these people get fired. And uh, there's there's also stories about how one person who was a manager kept another employee's medical condition private because that employee asked them to because you know it was a personal matter. But when Netflix found out about this, they fired the manager for keeping secrets. It's like all these weird uh internal scuffles where the higher ups at netflix are just seem to be fine with firing anyone and everyone for very <laughs> obscure strange reasons yeah i've been hearing about this for years uh i remember reading about this woman named patty mccord uh, i'm not sure if this article talks about it but she was hired by netflix she worked there for uh 14 years and she basically uh, came up with this document, this 124-page uh, document called Netflix Culture, Freedom and Responsibility. And uh, this is a document that's been shared, I think, like 14, 15 million times. It's, it's kind of gone viral in the Silicon Valley uh, area. And it's, um, I think it's even been called the, one of the most important documents ever to come out of the Valley by uh, some some journalists in Silicon Valley. Um, anyways, uh, so basically she created this document that basically is what set up Netflix as, you know, every day the people that work there have to prove their worth to the company. And the, the funny or ironic thing is that after 14 years at the company, Patty McCord got fired because uh, it was determined that she was no longer <laughs> a value to the, you know, that she, she was no longer, you know, she had created her worth and she had accomplished what she was going to accomplish there. And it, basically the, the, the things that she created were her downfall, <laughs> uh, which is kind of crazy. But uh, <laughs> HD, would you like to work at Netflix? 
I mean, I'm sure the benefits are fine, but uh, from what I've this from what this report says, I don't think so. And I think there was a story a few um, a week ago about how the pay at Netflix for actors and for um, the creative talent is not great as great either because it's very inconsistent and doesn't really abide by um, industry rules. So it seems like Netflix is um, is using its sort of um, mystery to its advantage and to the disadvantage of many of its employees. You know, Netflix is so successful. They're one of the most successful companies in entertainment right now. And it's just so strange to me that that you can be so successful, you know, with a culture of fear in your your whole like the whole working environment. Uh, Ben, how do you think that this is actually working for them? Um, I guess it's one of those things where they're number one, you know, they're kings of the mountain right now, and they just have so many people that want to work for them that the that they can afford to uh, act this way for, you know, toward their employees, because there's always going to be somebody right there, you know, uh, scrapping around in this industry trying to make it and and ready to replace somebody it just doesn't seem like the kind of way you know it's it's like directors who uh are you know like dictators on set you know some people respond well to that kind of thing but uh, i feel like most people are like that's not the most productive way to get everybody's best work out of them um and i feel like it's the same kind of thing here like i i can't imagine like think about all the good stuff that netflix has done and and like uh, um, the ways that they've pushed boundaries in the past few years, and think about how much more they could be doing if everybody there spent more time on the stuff that they were working on and less time worrying about you know their <laughs> boss jumping through their own desk and yelling that they're fired in their face. Like it just seems, um, I don't know. It, it seems like that's not exactly the the ideal way to uh, to conduct a company. But I don't. Know. Then again, they seem to be doing pretty well. So it, it's hard to say. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of today's Halloween edition of Slash Film Daily. Uh, ben, where can people find more of your work online? You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. HD, where can we find you? I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Chris, where can we find you? Uh, I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find uh, all the stories we talked about in today's podcast on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. You can subscribe to Slash Home Daily on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at com, And please go re- rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow. You know, one thing I, I was meaning to talk about in this podcast was uh, when you were talking about the house that Jack built. I received this this voicemail yesterday. Have you guys heard about this? Yes. Yeah, this marketing yeah. voicemail. I, actually, I think I'm going to insert it in here just so our listeners can hear this because this is really – like usually we get like marketing, like kind of viral marketing sent to us to get us excited for for upcoming releases. This is the voicemail I received yesterday. This is the house that Jack built. This is the malt that lay in the house that Jack built.
This is the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the cat that killed the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the dog that worried the cat that killed the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. So, after getting this phone call, I'm I'm not excited to see this movie. Like I'm actually like like this is like it feels like it's over the line in movie marketing. Like would like and Chris, I know recently you also received kind of a bit of movie marketing that kind of crossed your your personal lines. Yes. Uh so there's a movie called coming out called Border from it's being released by Neon. And I got a package the other day from Neon, and you know, a lot of times I get I get promotional stuff, and I'm always a little excited just because it's it's cool to get sent free stuff. So I opened it up, and it was this this clear box wrapped in a ribbon, and inside the clear box was what looked like uh, a, a cut off part of an egg crate, an egg carton, and I was like, what the hell is this? Like, because all I could see was the egg carton. So I open it up, I hold it up to my face to get a better look at it, and that's when I notice uh, the egg carton is just crawling with bugs, with live insects. And uh, I have a, a very big phobia about insects. I just do not like them. And granted, you know, Neon didn't know that, but still, there was no warning, there was no disclaimer saying, by the way, there are bugs in here, so... <laughs> I just had a box full of live bugs. And at the same time, even though I don't like insects, I didn't want to like just kill them. Cause I felt like that'd be like cold blooded. Like, ah, I'm going to kill all these bugs. So I put them in my yard, but you know, it's cold. And it's not bad. I was like, ah, oh, now the bugs are going to die. And it just, it just made me really upset. Like the whole thing could have easily been avoided. If Neon had just not sent me fucking real bugs. So I got upset. They eventually sent me this sort of like, half-hearted apology it was one of those like sorry if you were offended like that's not a real apology like don't you know you might as well have not said anything at all but yeah so that was my day i don't know what i would do if i had opened a package and it contained bugs ichi how would you have reacted i probably would have reacted the same way that chris had with horror and uh throwing it outside it's I that's disgusting and also what if they escape into your like apartment or house and you have to clean it up it's just not I don't understand how that is a movie marketing move that will make people more interested in a movie yeah I mean I guess we're talking about it on something that people are hearing (laughs) so it works yeah I don't think Chris is inclined to see this movie at all though yeah I will never see this movie now out of spite even if I, I I've actually heard people say Oh, it's a good movie, but you know what? I don't care. Go to hell, Border. I'm never seeing you because you sent me bugs. 